Thank you for that. Appreciate that encouraging thought and song. Welcome tonight. It's good to see you. Hope you've had a good day. I'm going to do my best to keep you awake tonight. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we introduced the thought yesterday in the Sunday school hour from chapter 1 that we need to be busy entering in to the lives of those around us. And we talked about how that entering in is a way of entrance. It is to go from one place into another, and it's the idea of making these types of connections with people to be able to share with them the hope that we have in Christ. And we talked about the need for boldness in order to see these opportunities to enter in, and then we talked about our motivation and making sure that we are motivated by the goal of pleasing God and not men. And of course, that goes along with that idea of boldness. Now we find ourselves in verse 7 and 8 of First Thessalonians chapter 2. And this evening, with the Lord's help, I'd like to speak to you for just a few minutes about the idea of using gentleness when entering in to people's lives. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 7, the Apostle Paul said this, But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. If we're going to find a way to enter in to people's lives and share the gospel with them, then there certainly is going to take some specific effort on our part. And we're going to have to be creative, selfless. We'll have to go out of our way, most likely, and inconvenience ourselves in order to be able to enter into people's lives But certainly, when we think about entering into people's lives, there are things in other people's lives that tend to give us an opening to enter in. Remember how I said yesterday that some people are, if if you think about it this way, some people are front door people, some people are back door people, some people are garage door people. Think about how you get into your house. Maybe you come in through the basement door or some other unique way of entering your house. People have entrances into their lives. And a lot of times, if you notice, uh, many people in our society have walled themselves off from anyone really making significant contact with them. And there's a lot of different reasons for that. I think one uh, serious contributing factor to this is social media. And I you know, when I was in, my, my wife and I were in Finland with our two oldest children for uh, several months, and we were working with a group of people that had an interest in discipleship. And while we were there, we were trying to do some evangelism on the streets. Uh, that was a few years ago. So at that point, mobile phones were pretty new here. My wife and I had had mobile phones, but we didn't use them too much. Do you remember when it actually cost a lot of money to use a mobile phone and you only used it for maybe emergencies or within the number of minutes that your plan had? We never texted. That was unheard of. 
Well, when we were in Finland and we would try to do street evangelism, something we noticed right away is that most people there were in their own little world. And I, I've handed out tracts all over the world to people coming off of subway or metro stations and usually can get a, a you know, you can get a lot of tracts out to people and expect to have a hearing for the gospel, but men, not in Finland. I could stand at the, at the exit for the metro station for an hour with tracks in my hand and try to put a track in front of people, and I would be lucky if I handed out five tracks in an hour with just a steady stream of people coming by because the average person had headphones in, and they had their face down like this. So we weren't real familiar with this here in the U.S. yet, but there it was already. Of course, Finland is the home of Nokia, and Nokia phones, and they were, they were starting to break into this, you know, people having audio on their phone and doing a lot of texting and that sort of thing. So everybody was in their little world, and little did I know that this was going to uh, be a precursor to what we find now. And this is so common now, even people go out to dinner together, friends will go out together for dinner, and they sit at the table, and everybody takes their phone out, and you wonder why they're at dinner with each other. They could just go sit at home and text each other, or maybe they're texting the people who aren't there, I'm not sure. But we think, you know, in our, in our culture, it's hard to make an inroads into people's lives, to be able to have a person-to-person conversation with them. Now, follow with me here, because in order to communicate the gospel, we need to have a person-to-person communication with someone. We need to be able to look them in the eye and them look us in the eye, and we need to be able to hear what's going on in their life and then share with them the hope that is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But many times, we're struggling to find the way, how do we get that person to even look at us? How do we get them to answer us? How do we get them to speak to us? What are we what are we going to do in order to create an entrance into their house? So you can't run up to people and slap them in the face and say, hey, I'm trying to talk to you. doesn't work too good. We need to find a way to be able to have access into their lives. And I'm gonna, what I'm going to talk about tonight, I believe, is one of the keys that God gives to us in order to have access to people's lives. And it is using gentleness in the way that God would have us to use gentleness in people's lives. So I want to talk to you just briefly tonight about this. First of all, I want you to consider the duty that we have as God's people to be gentle. Paul said in verse 7, "...we were gentle among you as a nurse cherisheth her children." That phrase, gentle among you, is significant. It speaks about his demeanor or his manner, the manner of his missionary team as they were dealing with people. They were dealing with people gently. So we asked the question tonight, well, what does it mean to deal with people with gentleness or be gentle towards them? Well, the word means or it speaks about mildness in our treatment of others. And it specifically refers to the idea that we should not be rough or harsh, or severe in our dealings with others. So we shouldn't try as God's people to be caustic or in your face. We shouldn't, uh, you know, I I think 
one of the one of the features that gets used a lot, especially in the social media age, to get attention is being caustic or having a caustic spirit. It's like the the more rude and outlandish I can be with my speech, the better chance there will be that someone will pay attention to me or will find what I say to be entertaining. And we you know we find this like on YouTube with uh, with preachers who are on YouTube and some of them. Their feature of their ministry is they're rude and they're caustic. They use abrasive language. They're over the top in that way. And why do they do that? Because they think that's going to get them a hearing. That's going to get people, and it does get people to pay attention to them, probably for the wrong reasons, but people do, uh, they, they get views, we'll put it that way. So people get by and see some of the things that they have to say. But God's plan for us is the opposite of that. God does not want us to be rough or caustic or severe. He wants us to learn how to be gentle with others. What we're talking about here in reality is that as we encounter people in the world around us and you start to pay attention, you begin to realize that the world is filled with broken people. The world is filled with people who are hurting, people who are in pain because of circumstances in their life. And in reality, they need to experience the love of God that God desires for them to know about. So what are we going to do in order to be gentle? Well, for one thing, we're going to have to dial back our reactions to the way that that people act and the things that they do. And perhaps there's things that you find to be outlandish or offensive that are pretty common in our culture today. What you're going to find is oftentimes those kinds of outlandish behavior or ways of adorning the body or whatever it is that that seems to be off-putting and is very unusual compared to what our culture was like even 20 years ago, oftentimes those things are indicative of something in the heart something that is deep in the heart, that is a wound, something that is uh, painful to them. And so as we minister to people, we've got to learn how to be gentle with people. I want you to hold your place in 1 Thessalonians 2 and turn with me back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's a very familiar passage. Oftentimes, this passage gets read at weddings. And, uh, you know, a lot of times people want to have this at their wedding, and there's a lot of applications to married life, but actually 1 Corinthians 13 is not, the specific application is not to marriage. The specific application is ministry and how we minister to others that are around us in the world. I just want to look at the first three verses. He says this, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Now notice what he's saying in these three verses. You could be very eloquent and a master communicator, but without charity mixed with your message, your message is not going to have the intended effect. You could 
be brilliant in your understanding of the scriptures and your ability to take the word of God and apply it to people's lives, to properly understand it and then apply it to people's lives, but without charity, without real loving care for the people that you are addressing, to them, it's going to mean nothing to them. It's not going to be meaningful. You could be someone who is very generous and willing even to go to the stake as a martyr, but if you don't have charity for those who are outside of Christ, then it's going to profit nothing in the ministry. Now, I believe 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3, is sharing with us an important key to ministry in this era that we are living in. You say, how can we make an impact in people's lives? I believe one of the ways that we can make an impact in people's lives is to demonstrate the love of God to people who don't believe that God loves them. Many of the people that we encounter have put aside the idea that God loves them. And and if you said to them, God loves you, they'd say, right. How would I know that he loves me? Look at my life. Look at what I'm dealing with. Why should I think that God loves me with these things going on? Now, your reaction might be to respond to that right away and to counter it with a scriptural argument. But the truth is what they're expressing to you is great pain in their heart and a misunderstanding of the character of God. And the way that they're going to understand the love of God for them is through the love of God's people. So because we live in a world that is filled with brokenness and people all around us are in pain, there are going to be many opportunities for us to minister gentleness. And it is our duty as God's people to do this, to minister gentleness. Just for a moment, think about the ministry of Jesus Christ. What kind of people did Jesus minister to when he came? I thought about how he found some blind men who needed their sight restored. These were men who were hopeless and helpless, and Jesus came to them, and he healed them and restored their sight. And then, of course, uh, in many cases, those men also received spiritual sight, and their lives were transformed. I thought about how Jesus went looking for the lepers. And, of course, the lepers were the outcasts of society. They were the ones who were disgusting, the ones who nobody wanted to have near them because everyone was afraid of them. But Jesus would seek these lepers out. He would welcome them, and, of course, he would heal them and set them free from their bondage of leprosy. Jesus would... uh, reach out to a man who was a maniac, who was possessed by a devil. Nobody else wanted that man to be around them because he was uncontrollable. He was a man who was out of his mind, who acted in ways that were outlandish. All the answers that the people of society had was to put chains around him and to push him out to the cemetery among the tombs and hope that he stayed out there and left them alone. But Jesus went and found that man. And he cast those demons out and he set that man free. And when it was finished, that man was sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. These were the kind of people that Jesus reached out to. Who did Jesus go looking for? Two sisters whose brother had died. And they were grieving 
and mourning over the death of their brother and uncertain why Jesus hadn't come when they had called for him, uncertain why Jesus hadn't come when it could have made a difference and they didn't understand what Jesus was up to in their life. And Jesus tenderly and carefully ministered to them in their hour of need so that they could understand powerfully the truth that Jesus is the resurrection and the life when they saw Jesus call Lazarus forth from the dead. Jesus had a rule in his ministry. It was expressed in Luke chapter 4 and verse number 18 when Jesus took a prophecy from the book of Isaiah and applied it to himself and spoke about how his ministry would be centered around healing the brokenhearted. He would be reaching out to those who were in need in many ways, those that the religious system of that day didn't understand, didn't want to have a part with, Jesus said, those are the people that I came to minister to. Do you suppose that if this was the model of Jesus' ministry, perhaps Jesus wants us also to be looking for these same kind of people? And then let's ask the question tonight, are there broken people around us? Oh, well, just think about it for a minute. Think about the brokenness that is in our society. All around us, we have people who are addicted to drugs and alcohol. And you can say, well, those people, you know, they need to stop doing that. Well, you understand that telling an addict to stop doing something, you might as well, it's not going to help. Addicts do things because they're addicted and they need help overcoming that addiction. Most of the time, they've been to every program in town. They've been to all the rehabs. They've tried everything that there is to try, and they've lost hope. They want to be set free many times from their addiction, but they don't know what to do. But as Christians, we will say, okay, well, what am I going to do with that person? How am I going to help them? Does the Bible have any answers? Look around society, and you're going to find that there are a lot of people who are broken because of addictions to drugs and alcohol. There's troubled people all around us. Pay attention. Look, look around in society and you're going to see them on every hand. How about the broken people who have messy family situations? And you, you start to get involved in people's lives and you get to know them and they start talking about the things that are going on in their home and you realize God's example of the home that is described in the scriptures is a rare thing in this world, in our culture. We're not, we're not living in the society of leave it the beaver anymore. Uh, things are different now. The average person that we're ministering to is coming from a broken home. They are coming from uh, some sort of mixed up situation. They may not know their dad. They may not know their mom. They, they maybe have some kind of a, a friction in the home that causes a great deal of unsettledness. They don't have a relationship with their parents. All kinds of things that we encounter. In fact, many of the people who come to us come to us because of their messy family situations and they're hoping that God has some answers. We minister to people like this. There are other people who are burdened down with their failures and they despair that they will ever have the opportunity to be whole or successful again. They've, they realize that they've missed opportunities. They realize 
that there are things that are in the past that they missed out on, that they'll never have the opportunity to do again. And because of that, they've turned negative on themselves and they've gotten to the place where if you said to them that there was hope, they might say to you, yeah, right, there's no hope. Many of the people that we encounter are like this. We encounter people who are afflicted with disease or grieving over loved ones who are afflicted with disease. You want to find some broken, hurting people? Go to the children's cancer wing of the hospital and walk through the halls and find the parents who are there despairing because their child has cancer and the doctors are trying the best that they can to help their their child. But as parents, what what a helpless and hopeless place to be and to think, What are we going to do and where are we going to turn? And many times we know that it doesn't work out well. It's a sad place to be. There's broken people. The other day we were in the hospital, my wife and I, we were making a visit on one of our dear couples, young young couple in our church that just got married and uh, uh, just she was getting ready to give birth to her child. And the child died in birth. It was their first child. And we went to see, we actually didn't get to see her because she was back in an area where we couldn't get to, but we went to see him and to minister to him. His parents had come, prayed with them and grieved with them. And, and you know, just su- such sadness. But as we were walking home, as we were going out to the car to leave, we were walking through the halls. And it was like, for me, I mean, I've been to that hospital a lot of times. And I started pointing, as I was talking to my wife, I said, right there, that's where I sat with Linda when we got the update about Barry's heart surgery. Oh, this is where we sat with Wendy while her husband was in surgery because he had a heart attack and nearly died. This is the place where we sat with this family when they received the news that dad wasn't going to make it and he had gone into cardiac arrest and he was already gone and we mourned with them. This is the place, you know, you you walk through those halls and you start to realize that so much of ministry is wrapped up with ministering to people who are hurting, people who are in pain. This was the feature of Jesus' ministry. This is the feature of our ministry. We minister to people who are afraid. We minister to people who are confused about what is truth, what is right and wrong. And many times they have crazy ideas. And when they start talking about the things that they believe, you just think, how could somebody believe that? But that's because people are mixed up about the truth. We are living in a world where people are confused where people's lives are broken. Now we can look at this and we can, of course, see the negative side of this and we can say, you know, it's awful that there's so much brokenness in our world and we know that that's the result of sin. But what I want you to see tonight is that in those situations of brokenness and often, especially in those times of crisis, there will be an opening for us to minister gentleness in people's lives, and it will give us an opportunity to share with them the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. But we have a problem. And the problem is that too often we are calloused to the brokenness of others. We are proud 
and, and we are caustic in the way that we speak about them because we really do not sympathize or have compassion on those who are in these kinds of situations. For instance, we deal with people who are, who are addicts and we say, well, they just need to knock it off. Just stop it. And we're not really being sensitive to the fact that they are truly in a place where they don't know what to do, where their life has become great despair. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to say tonight that people don't have personal responsibility, but I'm saying to you that if you just, if you just blast people because of the way that they're acting, because of the way that they are, you're not going to get anywhere with them in sharing the gospel. They're not going to be open to listening to what you have to say. Here's another verse I want you to look at, 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. I hope you'll stay with me all the way through the message tonight because I, I do believe that this is a key that God has given to us to be able to minister in people's lives. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 says this, And the servant of the Lord must not strive. And that word strive means to argue or to debate. But be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Now, you'll notice in this passage, why should we be gentle with people? Well, for one thing, some of the people that we encounter, many of the people that we encounter are actually opposing themselves. That is, the things that they believe and the things that they are practicing are hurting themselves more than anyone else, and they don't see it. They don't understand it. They don't know it. They don't realize that their philosophies are destructive. So we need to be careful in how we minister to them. We need to be careful to teach. We need to be patient. We need to have meekness because these folks need to come to repentance and that repentance will be marked by the acknowledging of the truth. You understand that the brokenness that is in people's lives because of sin is best addressed by an acknowledgement of the truth of God. But for many people, that's a process for them to, to, to work through because they've believed some lies which has brought them to the place where they're at and they need to undo those lies with the truth of God and they need someone to help them. But in the process of undoing those lies, it can be really frustrating. It, it can be really difficult Sometimes you can get to the place where you say, why can't you see it? Why can't you just stop? Why can't you fix this? Here's the thing. They've got a lot of lies that have deep roots in their heart, and they need someone to be patient with them and instruct them and help them. I like to say this. Don't be surprised when lost people act like lost people. The reason that they act the way that they act is because they are in sin. They don't know the Lord. They, I mean, in a sense, they do know better, but honestly, they do those things because they're not right with God. They need the gospel. If we say, the only people I'm willing to minister to are the normal people. First of all, how do you define normal exactly? Are, are any of us normal? 
<laughs> My wife and I joke about that sometimes. You know, when we, we talk about what normal is, it always seems to be us. And seems like everybody who's different than us is abnormal. But isn't it interesting that that's how everybody else thinks too? So if we're going to say, well, I'm going to limit myself to dealing with people who, who are like me or who think like me, people who aren't frustrating, people who are going to respond properly to the truth, then who exactly are we going to be ministering to? By the way, did you respond properly to the truth the first time that you heard it? Chances are you spent a while processing some things and working through the lies that you had believed and coming to the place where you repented of those lies and acknowledged the truth. And we need to have the same patience with the people that we're working with. You're going to find that there's going to be some, some folks that come across your path that have tremendous, tremendous brokenness. So there is a duty for us to be gentle. God expects us to be gentle, actually. He wants us to take care with those people. No matter what you may think about that person and what they believe and how they're acting, do you understand that that other person that you're thinking about, that you're looking at and considering right now, they are a special creation of God Almighty. He desires for them to be saved. He desires for them to come to repentance. We know that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So sometimes there are folks that we may be repulsed by something about their behavior. There may be some kind of sin that they're involved in that we say, that's disgusting. I don't understand that. I think I don't, I can't even imagine how somebody could be involved in that. That's not the point. The point is they need the Lord. They need somebody to care about them. I, I think, you know, this is, this is one of those things that, that we grapple with. There are certain sins which strike a chord with us that we say, oh, that's disgusting. I don't like that. And there's other sins that we say, oh, that's just normal. That's how it is. You know, everybody around me is that way. And we're not repulsed by that. We're not consistent. So we've got to have this gentleness towards others. We've got to have the ability to work through presenting the truth to them. All right, so we have this duty for gentleness. But notice the desire that brings this gentleness about. What is the desire in our heart that brings gentleness or treating people with gentleness about? Go back, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians 2. And notice what he says. We were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. That's a beautiful picture, isn't it? A woman caring for her little baby, a nursing mother, and how tenderly she treats that child, how, how she holds the, the baby close. And I, I remember when our children were little and my, my wife would sit in her chair nursing them, and in the middle of the night she'd be holding them close and, and she'd be taking care of their needs and, and just gently and carefully caring for them. And she had incredible patience for her children. That's exactly what Paul is describing. He said, this is how we were dealing with you like a nurse cherisheth her children. But why? He says in verse 8, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel only, but also 
our own souls because ye were dear unto us. So think about the desire that begets gentleness. Two phrases that jump out there in verse number eight. He says, being affectionately desirous of you. And then at the end of the verse, he says, ye were dear unto us. So what is it that causes gentleness? Well, it's when we have a genuine affection for that other person. When we have a genuine love or affection for that person, it begets gentle treatment. I love my wife with all my heart. And because of that, I'm gentle with her. I'm careful with her. I love my children and I try to be gentle with my children. Even when I'm correcting them, I try to be gentle with them and not rough with them because I want them to understand and come to the truth. I want them to make corrections in their life. The reason that Paul was gentle towards these folks is because he was affectionately desirous of them. They were dear unto him. In other words, he cared for them. Or, to use another Bible word, he had compassion on them. Compassion means to feel with someone. It has the idea, the same way that the Bible says, our great high priest is touched with the feelings of our infirmities, which is just an incredible thought. In the same way, we ought to be touched with the feelings of other people's infirmities. It ought to affect us. It ought to touch our heart. Of course, we know that Jesus was a compassionate minister. Jesus is often described in the Gospels as being moved with compassion. And what we find from that is that real compassion moves us. When we have compassion for others, it moves us. You say, what is it that causes us not to be gentle with people? It's when we're arrogant and we think we're better than someone else. It's when we look at someone else and we talk like the Pharisee and we say, well, I'm glad that I don't act like that. Except the truth is you're a sinner too. You're, you, apart from Jesus Christ, are just as estranged from God as that person is. If it wasn't for Jesus, you wouldn't have any hope of heaven. We sometimes look at other people and we think, well, I, do, I never did those kind of sins. That's just spiritual pride. Compassion will cause us to see that person in the way that God does. The desire that begets gentleness is a, is a desire of love, of compassion, of concern for that other person's life. It has the idea of us entering into their life and feeling with them the pain and the, 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 the hurt that they're bearing. You realize that people are hurting. Most people put up a veneer or a, a, a cover that, that looks like everything's great. And at work and in the street and, and in the neighborhood and whatever, you know, you ask them, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine, doing great, doing wonderful. The truth is, if you got to know them, the vast majority of people 
if they started to unburden their heart about the things that they're dealing with, you would be blown away. We tend to think of ourselves as the only ones who have problems. But when you sit and listen with people, and as a, as a pastor and as a counselor, I often have the opportunity to do this as people come to me in distress and looking for some kind of biblical counsel, and then they start to lay out what they're dealing with. And I'll tell you, it's, sometimes it's mind-blowing. You think, oh my goodness, I can't believe what this person has been through. I can't believe what they're dealing with. No wonder they're hurting. No wonder. But if you just met them on the street just casually and all you said was, Hi, how are you? My name is such and such. What's your name? Good to see you. Have a great day. You'd think, oh, they're, they're, they're a, a happy person. Do you ever listen sometimes to even like these rich and famous people who get interviewed and they talk about their life and they start to talk about the things that are going on in their life, and you start to realize that even these rich and famous people are hurting on the inside. They have deep pain. And oftentimes, the reason they are the way that they are is because of the deep pain that has propelled them to that place, maybe to be successful or to cover something up. How often is it that the guy who's the life of the party does that to cover over a deep, deep wound a lack of acceptance of himself or a fear that others don't love him. And so he's always got to be out there trying to, to be the life of the party so that everybody will accept him and will love him. And deep down inside, what is he really after? You think, man, that's a, he's a wild dude. He's acting in ways that are inappropriate. So many times it's just because he needs to know about the love that God has for him. You see what I'm saying? We've got to have compassion. We've got to ask God to awaken in our hearts a desire towards other people. We've got to stop acting like the priest and the Levite who passed by that guy that was beaten up on the side of the road and went over to the other side and said, I'm going right along. I'm not stopping there. And who was it that stopped and helped? The Samaritan. Boy, most of us wouldn't want to be called a Samaritan if we understood what that meant. But who was it that showed real neighborliness? It was that Samaritan. Now, something that you have probably already observed, and if you haven't, you will, is that when you enter into the lives of broken people, it requires a great deal of selflessness and Christ-like love. Because people will let you down. You'll have somebody that you are working with and all of a sudden, they'll let you down. Over a year ago, uh, two years ago, two years ago, a young man walked into our services on a Wednesday night. And we had a guest speaker that evening who preached. He didn't even really preach about salvation, but... As I closed the service out and I was dismissing people, I looked down and this young man was standing right here. He walked up to the platform and, and I said, can I help you? I didn't know him. I had never met him. Can I help you? And he said, I need to talk to you right now if I can. I need to be saved. Well, that doesn't happen very often. Definitely not every service. 
And so I went and sat down with him, and he'd been listening to some messages and had come under great conviction about his need of Christ. And we looked at some scriptures, and he insisted that he wanted to be saved. And that evening, he, he prayed, and I, I, uh, I don't know whether he really got saved or not. But we started working together and studying the scriptures and was trying to help him to make some forward progress. And he ran into some difficulties with um, some sin in his life. And I'm not exactly sure what happened. But at some point, just a few weeks after that happened, he just totally stopped responding to me. He disappeared, didn't come back to church, never never responded to me. So every once in a while, I would send him a text message and just say, hey, I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. I hope you're well. He never responded to me. I never heard a word from him. After a while of doing that, I thought, I wonder if he changed his number or something. I'm not getting any response, so I just stopped sending messages. A week ago tonight, I got a message from him. And the message, I was teaching in Bible Institute, and a message popped up on my phone. And he just said, Roland? And I thought, well, that's weird. So I, in the break, I texted him back and said, hey, it's good to hear from you. Hope you're doing well. And then I didn't hear anything. So I finished teaching. And then late that night, I got another message from him. And he said, first of all, I just want to apologize for ignoring you and not responding to you. And second of all, I was hoping that we could get together and talk. I said, wonderful, that's good. So we're trying to work that out. But you know what? A long time ago, months ago, I thought, it's over, it's done. He you know, he was he seemed on fire for the Lord. It seemed like he was he was wanting to serve the Lord and grow and uh, you know, all this potential, and I was excited, and then all of a sudden just like gone. And you think, if you're gonna minister to people, a lot of people are gonna let you down. People are, are going to show some promise, and then all of a sudden they're going to fall off. Sometimes people are going to come to a point with the truth, and then they're going to say, nope, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to follow that path. You know, when we, when we teach our, our evangelistic Bible study, it's not unusual for people to come to the conclusion of that study and realize that they are lost, realize that they need to be saved, realize that they have a responsibility to God, but they'll say, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to take that step. And then you can watch it happen in their life sometimes as the conviction fades away, and then they kind of just fade away, and you think, oh, they were so close. They were right there. They understood their need, but they didn't follow through on truth. Now, if if you as an evangelist or you as a a teacher, preacher of the gospel, communicating the gospel, say, I'm not going to do that again. That's so disappointing. When somebody gets to that point, it just breaks my heart. That's part of the ministry. People are going to let you down. Not everyone is going to follow through on the truth. Sometimes people will put up a front of disagreeableness. Sometimes they will be abrasive and caustic. Sometimes they will come across in a very, uh, a very rude manner. They'll mock Christianity and make fun of you as a Christian. And if, you don't, if you're not able to handle that, you're not going to be available to minister to them when the moment of crisis comes. Something that I've observed over and over again in my life 
is that people who make fun of Christians always come to a place where they need to talk to a Christian, where they need somebody who will pray for them, somebody who will care for them. And when they come to that place of crisis, they know who to go and find because that's the person who has hung in there and continued to be a consistent witness for Christ despite the fact that they have heaped scorn and mockery upon them. So you've got to be prepared for this. This is what gentleness means. You've heard it said before, and I want to reiterate it here tonight. Hurting people hurt people. If you're going to get involved in people's lives and you're going to make an entrance into people's lives, you are going to get hurt. There are times when it's not going to turn out the way that you had hoped it would. There are going to be times when you're going to be stabbed in the back, when you're going to be mistreated, when someone is going to speak ill of you, when all you have done is desired for them to be saved. You've got to be prepared for that. And that's what it means to be gentle, that when you're treated in that way, you don't heap that same kind of behavior on them. There's a duty for us to be gentle. There's a desire that begets gentleness. But then notice the demonstration of gentleness, and then I'll be done. The demonstration of gentleness, he says there, they were affectionately desirous, and he says in verse 8, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God, the, the gospel of God only, but also our own souls. Do you understand what he's saying there? We loved you so much that we were not content just to give you the truth. We wanted to give you ourselves. We wanted to give you our soul. We wanted to show you our inner man. Now think about this with me. We've got to be careful as believers who have the truth not to fall prey to this idea of dropping truth bombs on people. You know what I mean by that? Dropping truth bombs on people like, boom, and then we walk away like, ah, won that one. I, I won that discussion. That was a good one. And we, we study like one-liners and, and clever ways to turn a phrase so that we can really just smack somebody upside the head with the truth. Now, it's fine to be a good communicator, but be careful how you communicate the truth of God. Be careful that you're not being arrogant. Be careful that you're not being smug. Be careful that you're not dropping truth bombs on people. Instead of just imparting the truth to them, impart your soul. You see, this is a person that you're hoping is going to get saved. This is the person that you're hoping is going to come to Christ. You want to give them more than just the truth. Sometimes we feel like, well, I gave them the truth. Now I'm done. My hands are clear of the matter. It's on them. I'm moving on. That's not the attitude of God's servant. God's servant wants to impart his soul to that individual. This idea of imparting our own souls means that we are wanting to share with others our life force, our vitality. We want to share with them, this is what I have found. This means that we share everything that is a part of us, opening our lives to others. One of the keys to getting someone else to open their life to you 
is for you to open your life to them. For them to realize that you are a real person. Sometimes you and I can be guilty of being too businesslike in our presentation of the gospel. We need to learn how to genuinely care about the needs that people have. And people have needs that are spiritual. They have needs that are emotional. And they have needs that are physical. And we have to care. We may not be able to meet every need that that person has, but we ought to care about those needs. It ought to move us the plight that people are in. What you find when you get involved in people's lives is that they have many, many needs. Now, all along, I've been saying that I believe this is a key to gaining an entrance into people's lives. And this is why I say that, and then we're going to be done. Most people do not feel that anybody cares about them. The average person, if you really talk to them, if you really sat and talked to them, they, and I've heard people say this over and over, nobody really cares about me. My spouse doesn't care about me. My kids don't care about me. My parents don't care about me. My coworkers couldn't care less about me. I don't have any friends. I'm alone. Nobody cares about me. I'm alone in this world. That's how most people feel. Most people feel isolated. They feel that if they were to be gone, no one would really notice, no one would really care, life would go on. And so it can be incredibly meaningful to people when you communicate to them that you do care and that you are willing to give of yourself to meet their needs and to share with them the message that has changed your life. Gentleness is astounding to people because most people are accustomed to being treated with callousness, roughness, thoughtlessness. People are tuned in to someone who genuinely cares about them. Sometimes I encourage our folks because we will have... People from time to time say to us, even on visitation, you know, I have this prayer request or I have this need in my life. And, and many people will hear, I'll pray for you. I'll, I'll pray for you. But there's something that many people have never experienced. And that is for someone to say, could I pray with you about that right now? And oftentimes, when that happens, it blows people's minds. They say, you mean right here, right now? You're willing to pray about that right now? Yes, let's pray about that right now. Let's talk to the Lord about that right now. I was just talking with a, a pastor friend, and he was sharing with me, they've been doing this on their, on their uh, outreach door-to-door. So when they're talking with people, they've trained their, their door-to-door personal workers to ask at the end of the conversation, do you have any prayer requests that we can pray about? And then sometimes they'll pray about that with them on the spot, and then they ask for permission to follow up and check up on that prayer request. And a week later or two weeks later, they'll send somebody back by to say, hey, we've been praying about this prayer request. How are things going? What's happening in this situation? He said, 
it's pretty interesting. They're just in the early stages of doing this on their outreach, but he said it's interesting how it has opened up doors of conversation where before folks weren't interested in having extended conversations all the time, but it's opened up some interesting opportunities because what you find is that when you ask people about things that are on their heart, people have things on their heart. And when you show a real care for them, a real gentleness, a real compassion, and then not just say that you'll pray about it, but actually pray for them, and then actually follow up and ask, how are things going? How is that situation? It communicates to people, you know what? They do really care about me. And that's the point. We ought to care about people. Gentleness can open incredible doors for sharing the gospel. Now tonight, perhaps you could think of someone right now who could benefit from a demonstration of gentleness. Maybe in your mind right now, it's someone in your neighborhood. Maybe it's someone at work, a family member. Maybe in your mind, it's the person that is the most irritating person to you and you just don't know how to deal with them, and you say, I don't, I don't know what they need. Whoever that person is right now, the, the person that's in your mind right at this moment, that you say that they really need some gentleness. I'm going to challenge you in just a moment to ask the Lord to help you to express love and compassion to them so that you might reach them by entering in to their lives. Ask God to help you show love and compassion so that you can gain a hearing for the gospel. Because if we're going to enter into people's lives, we're going to have to be gentle among them. We're going to have to be affectionately desirous of them. They're going to need to be dear unto us. And we're going to need to impart to them not just the gospel, but our own souls also, so that they know that in fact there is someone who cares deeply about them, and it's not just us, but it is God who has given us that kind of love for other people.